0: Being a parent is an incredible gift and responsibility. Even though the most important things in life are free, I think we also know that there are expenses with kids. And when you have a child with special needs, those expenses can skyrocket. It can be a constant challenge to keep things manageable, but it's not impossible. Today, we'll get into the essentials and the conversations to have so the two of you can cope and succeed. Welcome to the Couple Money Podcast, the show where we share stories and advice on building up your marriage and wealth together. I'm Elle Martinez. Support for this podcast comes from Jumpstart Your Marriage and Your Money Masterclass. This course is designed to help you two get on the same page with money, dump your debt faster, and get you on the path to financial freedom. Sign up for the class today and get lifetime access. Just head over to couplemoney.com slash jumpstart. Part of my mission with this podcast is to help make finances easier on your marriage. And so we cover topics like getting out of debt, saving for a house, investing for a retirement. Those are important, but when you're parents, those goals take a backseat to your kids. And if your child has special needs, you're going to want to do everything you can to provide the support they need. And that can take a huge emotional and financial toll on your family. Since this is something I'm not qualified to speak on, I'm grateful that Michelle Gershfeld is here to help. Michelle is a certified financial counselor and attorney. She's also a mother who has had to work hard to make sure that her daughter's special needs were taken care of. So this conversation is not just a professional one, but a personal one as well. In this episode, we'll discuss putting together a team to help make sure your child's needs are provided for, financial and legal considerations to keep in mind when planning, and dealing with the unique financial scenarios that come up when you're a parent of a child with special needs. Hope this helps. Really appreciate you, Michelle, coming on the podcast and talking about this. I have a lot of parents that have children with special needs. They want to help their child reach their full potential within circumstances, but they don't know where to start. We, they've had a child without special needs first, so this is a whole new ball game for them. Maybe we could start off with what kind of, I guess, conversation should couples have when they're starting to address this issue?
1: As I mentioned to you off the air, I have a special needs child. I'm a lawyer, I'm a financial advocate. I'm all about settling debt and getting people in the best position that they can be in so that they can have a successful life and sleep at night. And that being said, having a special needs child, of course, adds a whole new dimension to sleeping at night and your finances. So it's very important Uh, coming from that perspective to one, be aware that there are questions to ask and what do I do? So very first thing, thank you so much for pulling your head out of the sand. I'm sorry what you're suffering. No one can quite recognize what it is to deal with a child, you know, young adult with special needs until they're actually in that situation. And that situation alone can be very isolating. So, So the fact that, you know, we're here and we're talking about the specifics of what can I do to get my child in the best position to have the best life he or she possibly can have, that's a great place to start. So I think, you know, the schools are somewhat helpful. It depends on your school district, what services are provided, but a lot of information really, you do have to find it yourself. And the resources out there are vast and confusing, So I would say in the very first instance, I'd want to have the family create a team of experts, which would be an attorney, a doctor, an accountant, uh, a government benefits specialist, because there are ins and outs to social security and Medicaid and having special needs trusts. So for example, in order to qualify for certain benefits, the individual's income has to be less than, or the, not their income, but their available funds have to be less than $2,000. So how can you provide for that child, for example, when you're going to you know, ultimately die, you want funds to be available for your child, the government benefits that are available are limited and there has to be a way to manage the money. So, so in that situation for everybody, you know, a special needs trust or a trust agreement, a family trust, you know, having that lawyer go through what specifically is going to work best for your child and your finances is without a doubt, hands down, the best money you can spend. You gotcha. Need, you need to be able to um, be a, have a legal guardian for your child. So, you know, people often think, well, I've been the mother, I've been the father, I've always signed for everything, it's not going to be a problem. Well, guess what? (laughs) When the child turns 18, the doctor can no longer speak to Mm -hmm. you about your child, unless you have those legal guardianship papers taken care of. And of course, each state is different, what's required, and Mm -hmm. sometimes you can do that without an attorney, and you just have to have a lot of grit because the forms are very specific and they will be denied. And then you have to resubmit them. And you just have to, as in most things in life, have a thick skin, be ready to answer the questions, but to obtain guardianship, at least in New York, you need letters from the doctor. You need letters from the school. There are a host of different um, things on the checklist that have to be taken care of. And you know, my advice is start early and expect it to be rejected so that by the time the kid turns eighteen, you have that all set up and your ducks are in a row. And I'm
0: gonna stop you because this probably sounds like a stupid question to you. I have stupid questions. <laughs> is that? But you know, like with attorneys, there are different specialties. Yeah. Like you work with bankruptcy and you've had that experience. What, I guess, is the field or what should the parents look for when they're, let's just say, Googling uh, a lawyer that can help them out? You know, how do they find the right attorney and make sure it's someone with that, that experience to help them out with the trust and working through benefits and everything?
1: I, I personally uh, went to my school district because my child was enrolled in a special needs program there in the school. And I asked for, you know, you know, the school must have somebody that they talk to. And so that was that was a starting ground for me. Um, you know, I subsequently learned that there were some other avenues that I could have taken. And what I would say in that vein is once you do find a special needs trust attorney or a special needs attorney, and you could Google that, mm-hmm. set them out specifically as to have you helped somebody who has my situation so for example, in my situation, I was, I was in the middle of my divorce and the divorce judge said, do you have a special needs trust for your child? So, um, so, so that was great that the judge said, do it, because we too had put our heads in the sand. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and while that attorney did help us very much, what I didn't know is that she hadn't helped people who, ha- who were divorced with special needs. Okay. And that actually changes the semantics of the wording, specifically Mm -hmm. of the divorce decree. So you want to make sure that you're dealing with an attorney who has had clients that are similarly situated. So just having dealt with special needs individuals alone may not be enough. Again, in my experience, the Social Security Administration will Mm -hmm. make every opportunity to deny benefits. And there again, you have to have a lot of grit You have to be willing to appeal, 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 and you have to wait a long time. And and they're really looking, in my estimation, for you to give up, so you can't give up. So, you know, another really important thing, in addition to having that team, Mm -hmm. is to actually create a letter of intent that is a written bio of your child's history, your child's medical needs, their doctors, their allergies there are likes and dislikes in a way to be a guide to, to direct anybody who's going to come in contact with your child. Maybe you're not available, God forbid you die, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the situation is. I think for everyone who is dealing with special needs, whatever those needs are, it's very important to have kind of a reference book a little notebook even that really lays out everything so that in in the instance that, you know, God forbid you're yeah. in a plane crash, like there is some resource because no one knows your child like you do. And it's going to be very difficult to expect that anyone could step into your shoes at all. Mm-hmm. But certainly if you give them kind of like a handbook of this is my kid, this is, this is the routine. It may seem time-consuming and not really valuable because things do change pretty frequently. But I think even the exercise of, of, of writing those things out and of really thinking about your child and your child's needs, I think that can benefit the child and the next people who are going to deal with your child. So maybe it's not that you're, you have some devastating situation, but maybe the child does go into a new program and instead of having to reinvent the wheel every time, you would have, your letter of intent that explains everything. And so that when you go to meet with the new school or the new doctors or even the lawyer, you have a basic bio of your child that's really pretty specific. Oh, that's
0: fantastic too. I know it is work to some regard, but in at least creating that, it reminds you like I have to be prepared should something happen to me. You know, that my child's care is still being handled to the best of the circumstances' ability. Like I I give whoever's gonna be taken over or if it's temporary or not, the tools that they can give them the care that I, I want my child to have.
1: And which leads to the next point, which is create a will. Mm. So again, that burying your head in the sand versus being responsible and as painful as it is. A will gives direction to your child's guardian, you know, and to the courts on how assets should be moved and allocated, you know, who should be the caregiver, and, you know, what's gonna happen specifically as far as your personal wants. So maybe it doesn't all work out exactly the way you had planned, but Mm -hmm. if you don't do it, then you're really doing a disservice to your child who's gonna be left out there not only without you but without, again, that guidebook of, you know, what do I need to do? And I just wanted to also mention back to the special needs trust, you know, that is a separate entity that holds the money so that the child won't be disqualified from any third-party assistance programs. So a special needs trust is really an excellent tool that allows for there to be, um, for example, the parent can have life insurance policy Mm -hmm. when that policy pays off. You want to make sure that the policy, that the beneficiary of the policy is maybe 50% your typical child, maybe 50% for your disabled child. But again, you wouldn't want the money to go directly to the disabled child. You'd want it to go to the special needs trust to take care of the child, which would then allow the child to continue to uh, obtain benefits but not lose the benefit of having that money.
0: Okay. And with the special needs trust, um, is there an executor? as like another trust
1: is there's a trustee, right. There's a, there's a trustee. And you know, that also is a sticky situation. What isn't, who are you going to ask to mm-hmm. take care of your child's uh, really financial needs. And for me personally, I use the attorney who was the attorney that I hired. I think it's difficult to impose upon people who are your friends and your coworkers and who, say that they support you and really truly do want to support you but at the same time they're busy living their lives and then to ask them to take on that responsibility of being the trust or trustee rather for the kids trust i don't know that that you want to do that so you know that is a consideration so here we're talking about opening the conversation who would we want to do this how would we compensate them for doing that would they accept compensation so if your sister has you know three of her own kids and her own issues Is it really, you know, fair to say to her, would you do this too? Or is it better to hire a professional? But then again, who's that professional? And are they really going to have your kid's best interest at heart? So it's a, it's hard to address it and make a decision and you can change your mind than to say, you know what, I don't want to make that decision, which a lot of people do. That's why a lot of people don't have wills because they don't want to make that decision. But in this situation where you have a special needs child, You really have to say, I can't procrastinate on this. I have to make this a priority. I have to make some difficult decisions. And if I decide down the road to change them, okay, but let me put something in place for today.
0: Those are long and tough decisions. And I don't think there's like ever a great time, you know, because you have to work them all out, but it's better to do it when there's not a pressure, you know, on you. Either you're ill yourself as, you know, a parent and caregiver or you're incapacitated and now it's like, what? what's there, what's not there.
1: Right, and maybe maybe the way to like have this in bite-sized chunks is to set your calendar up so that you have one chore every month so that, you know, you don't hear this today and say, oh my God, I can never do all that. (laughs) Let me switch to watch something else or listen to something else. No, let's, you know, let's in the first month, Let's find out about becoming a legal guardian. Let's get the forms from our state. Let's start figuring them out. It's gonna take affidavits, as I say, from the doctor, from the school, from, you know, depending on, on each state and each situation. That can be your project, maybe even for the whole quarter. You know, what is it? it's gonna be March? Let's say, you know, let's say for March and April, my whole focus is gonna be, let me just see how far I can get this. And then maybe, okay, we'll take off, you know, a month, but then the next quarter, let's start really thinking about a will. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about uh, the finances, which I know was, was a big issue that that um, you and I had discussed about, you know, well, where is all this money supposed to come from?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, budgets are already tight and it's figuring out how to take care of your special needs child, but then also, you know, the rest of the family, make sure everyone's uh, cared for and they, they, have to be cared for. Right.
1: And, and, and truly there is never enough money. And, you know, we can talk about all of the different ways that we can try to start saving money, but, but, and and I'm happy to, you know, talk about that. But, but the thing that, uh, that occurs to me that I don't think occurs to many people is life insurance and perhaps life insurance on your parents. So, Again, I I, I probably speak too much from my personal experience, but that's what I know, and that's what I've advised my clients and and, uh, consulted with people. So my parents are in their 70s, and I decided, I think maybe five years ago, I asked them if they would be agreeable to a second-to-die life insurance policy, which was kind of morbid and very unsettling to ask them. Yeah. But, they, but they know my child is disabled, they know that they're going to die, and, uh, and, and they don't have money. I mean, they're just regular people, so they don't have a legacy that they're going to pass on to us. But uh, since I was willing to fund the premium for that insurance, mm-hmm. which will continue until both parents die, at that point there will be a benefit that will go into my daughter's trust So I don't have to die for her to get that money. So if I'm 70 years old or 80 or 90 and I really can't still be uh, earning income or, or, you know, my retirement is insufficient, uh, I I thought that was really just a great way to pay for it now, uh, you know, and it's a high premium, but it certainly will be, uh, you know, a payment at the end of their lives and that will be available for her. So that gives me comfort. You said, it. I'm sorry, it was a second-to-die policy? Second-to-die policy. So okay. parents can do that for themselves so that, you know, if both spouses die, the kid can get the insurance. And, and I, I, don't, I don't know that it's that it even has to be two related people. I'm not – I don't sell insurance. Yeah, I can say is that um, for mine, my parents, like I said, they were in their 70s. They were in pretty good health. They took the test, and we put the policy together. We made the trustee – you know, we made a special trust with respect to that policy – and every year I pay the premium, and when they both die, there'll be money there for my daughter. So I just thought that was a creative way to say, look, I mean, yes, I could save that money also every year. And, you know, I'm not an actuarialist, but, but I think that getting creative, I thought that was a creative solution, and getting creative with what can we do here so that we can make sure the child isn't just left. I mean, another thing is that there is now um, a special direction budget that is being um, proffered for people to be able to use state government um, money for for special needs individuals. And it goes to housing and it goes to education. And depending on your child's level of disability, they decide how much money is available through this self-direction budget, it's called. Um, But all of these things, even though it's a great program, everything does require parental contribution. So it's not the situation where I think, again, you know, for the head in the sand analogy, people think, well, my kid is going to be 21. I'm done. You know, now the kid is awarded the state. It doesn't really work that way. It, It just doesn't. So when you're planning, you know, you plan for your typical children, you plan, if you do, to pay for their college education, maybe, you know, be aware, your this special needs child or children may not be going for a college education, but they will continually require your support. So it's not a matter of it turns off at a certain age and then the child becomes no longer your financial responsibility.
0: Thank you for you know, these ideas and resources so parents can have the conversation, ask questions, talk to a qualified, you know, professional for their situation and see what they can and can't do.
1: Yeah. Trying to manage it on your own is a full-time job. And, you know, truly that's another issue for parents with disabled children. And it very well can impact your financial status because you may have to change your job. You may not be able to, you know, you may miss a lot of work. You may lose your job. Oftentimes, People decide to start their own businesses because they, they can't keep leaving the job. And the employers are not really, although they appear to be empathetic, they want the work done. Mm-hmm. So there are, besides the expected expenses, there are also the unexpected expenses, and which, as I say, could have to do with your job. It may be, you know, your insurance. Some people stay with jobs where they could get a better job, but they don't change the job because they're afraid to lose the insurance, which is covering their disabled child. Mm -hmm. so okay so well maybe this job is good because it pays for my health insurance but it's really not paying enough to pay for my rent and my groceries there are high medical costs you know medication medical equipment all of these things you go you for a surgery you don't know that the anesthesiologist is not on your plan so you get huge bill after as i mentioned that you know i would i would like to follow it up by saying just because you get a bill doesn't mean you have to pay it in full so a lot of the doctors and hospitals, unlike the credit cards and car lease dealerships, oh, yeah. the, <laughs> the hospitals the and the doctors will generally allow you to make a small payment and not report you as bad, you know, for bad credit. If you can notify the appropriate offices, if you can't make the payment as soon as possible, you know, keep in touch with your creditors remember to record and maybe this is in that same book the names and the phone numbers of everybody you've spoken to so that if if somebody tells you oh yes it's fine you can you know just pay 10 dollars every month and then you get some letter from a lawyer well at least you'll be able to say you know what on january 30th i spoke to yeah. jane doe and you know you know sometimes they give you an agent number identification number it behooves the parent to keep a list, write down who you're talking to, get a full first and last name. If they refuse to give the last name, make a note that they refuse to give the last name. Um, you know, Document everything, the date, the time, and the results of your phone communications. And again, if you can pay something, even a small amount as a gesture of your good faith, you know, and then keep, keep that written, chances are good that they're not going to come down heavy on you in the medical field. They understand what you're going through to some extent. And again, unlike, you know, a general unsecured credit card, you may have more success in dealing with uh, medical professionals.
0: At least that's, that's good that uh, doctors are willing to work with you because usually those bills are, they add up very
1: quickly. It's, it's the number one reason for bankruptcy filings. Mm-hmm and and i think also a lot of people file bankruptcy too early so you know i i would say you know don't don't be in a hurry to file a bankruptcy if you find that you're underwater with unsecured debt mm-hmm. it's not really much the creditors can do to get the money from you anyway and if there's a way to not file a bankruptcy although a bankruptcy generally a bankruptcy attorney will say oh file bankruptcy get a fresh start <laughs> Then you can't file one for another eight years. You know, it may not be the best thing. Oftentimes, debt can be negotiated. And by the way, if you don't have anything and they get a judgment against you, there's not really very much they're going to be able to do to collect it. So bankruptcy, I think, is extreme. And, uh, you know, know, I I think to the extent that you're already living in hell, you know, not, not putting a bankruptcy on that would be helpful if you can avoid it. There are ways to recognize when you're in financial trouble, you know, and I think as you said from the beginning, you know, budgeting, all that, but in this situation where you are doing medical copays, that may be, you know, all of a sudden out of left field, you have, you know, a couple of hundred dollars of copays that were not in your budget, you know, now all of a sudden you're spending more than you earn. You need to take a step back and analyze that, you know, are you using credit cards for everyday purchases? You know, are you only making the minimum payment or maybe even skipping bills entirely? You know, do you, are you using cash advances? I think recognizing where you are, like notices about utility disconnection and that too, you can get some, you might be able to get help from your state if that's mm-hmm. an issue and you have a disabled child. Same with heat. So there are resources if as a family you can't make the the, the daily nut there are resources and you should be able to find them but procrastination is your worst enemy our having this discussion you know knowing that ignoring your financial obligations can lead to even greater problems is key so getting together, talking about the issues, finding a team to work with you, and recognizing that, you know, wouldn't it be great if the problem goes away, and sometimes it does, but let's face reality of how are we going to give our child the best possible life, and sleep at night are, you know, key to fulfilling your expectations of yourself as a parent, and giving your child the best life possible in light of their situation.
0: Special thanks to Michelle for being a part of this show. I know this is a very huge and personal topic. Every family has their own unique circumstances. So if you want to dig deeper and reach out to Michelle with your questions, you can find her at her law firm or at her business, Get Financially Fit. Don't worry, as always, I'll have links to that as well as all the info and details in the show notes. By the way, if you want to stay on top of the podcast, maybe the videos, articles, make sure you're subscribed to Couple Money Community. I send out weekly updates with everything we release as well as some behind the scene and exclusive stuff. Plus, it's free. Just head over to couplemoney.com slash join our theme song was written and performed by gentle regime additional music by lee Rosevere and music for makers finally and most importantly thank you so much for your support it's very much appreciated and i know sometimes i mention sharing episodes but with today's topic i would be very grateful if you could spread the word i'd love to help families feel less financial pressure taking care of their kids I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care.